Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. Okay, you ready? Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Happy Easter, everyone. I am really glad to be with you this morning. I'm going to um, I'm gonna start by telling you a story about my friend Dan. I might have talked about him before, but I think it's worth repeating. Um, <clears throat> my friend Dan is a church planter in Ottawa. He's 35, and he's married to uh, a lovely woman, Melody. They have two beautiful boys, Marcus and Eli. And three years ago, he was diagnosed with a very specific type of cancer. It was in his throat at that time. It's in his lungs now. And basically, <laughs> I'm not going to try to say what type it is because I can't, but, um, but basically, this type of cancer is always operable, but it will recur unpredictably. Um, <clears throat> kind of forever. So every few months or a few years, they don't really know, a new tumor will grow on Dan's lung, and the surgeons will cut it out, and they'll keep doing that until there's no more lung left to cut out, um, and then that cancer will kill him. So in the fall, Dan had a surgery to remove a tumor on his lung, and um, they went in laparoscopically. It was a great procedure. They got great margins, removed all the cancer. Everything was good. And then in the winter, a CT scan showed a new growth, a new lump developing, and that was way sooner than anyone had expected, which is terrifying because instead of years between bouts, you have months now. And so they booked another surgery. <clears throat> and they, <clears throat> excuse me, they operated in the middle of February, and they went in, the surgeon went in laparoscopically. He's a very good surgeon. He couldn't find anything. And so he called another surgeon in, and that guy looked around, and he couldn't find anything either. So right in the operating room, they made the decision to open him right up uh, because if it's in there, you've got to find it. And so then there's two surgeons digging around all through his lung, and they couldn't find anything. And now, eight weeks later, which is a way longer recovery time than he anticipated, eight weeks later, there's still no explanation for that. So for eight weeks, Dan and Melody have been living with this strange uh, reality. And I talked to Dan on Wednesday morning, and I was sort of, sort of hesitantly said, so um, what, do you, what do you make of that? What do you think? And he said, I know, right? <laughs> what do you make of that? I said, yeah. And he said, yeah, so many people want me to start proclaiming that a miracle happened, that I was healed and I've been cured of cancer. But if I do that and six months down the road a new tumor grows, what does that mean for everybody who went with me on the miracle journey? And he said, and then there's this whole other group of people who want me to just say, you know what, blips show up on scans all the time. There was just some swelling. It was a mistake. And leave God out of it altogether. But what if God really did cure me? I don't know. 
So then he's quiet for a minute, and he says, here's what I know. I know that I had a lump, and now I don't have a lump. And it's kind of like that man who was born blind in the Bible. He's born blind, and when the religious leaders start questioning him about his healing, he says, look, all I know is I was blind, and now I can see. And if you want any more explanation than that, you're going to have to ask Jesus yourself. That's all I know. I had a lump. Now I don't have a lump. That's all I know. And for all we try to explain it every single year, I think Easter morning is a little bit like that, isn't it? He was dead. And now he's alive. And that's all I know. So, Here is a quick glimpse into the spiraling, winding world that is sometimes my spiritual life. Um, I've been reading some of Eugene Peterson's uh, writing about the vocation of being a pastor, and I'm reading those because sometimes uh, I, I just, it's a tough vocation, and I feel like, I don't know if I'm cut out for this, and so I am, I'm reading to, and learning. And Peterson, which he's great, and he was talking about He said, the book of Revelation is the single book in the Bible that is the most important for this, like, decade or generation or whatever to to read and understand. So, um, kind of on a whim on Tuesday night, I thought, well, I got some time. I'll read the book of Revelation. Okay. Yeah. So I read through, (laughs) so I read through Revelation on Tuesday night and um, I was struck by some things that, uh, lots of things, but I'll just mention a couple here. Um, One was the connection to uh, Genesis and then also the connection to the Easter story. So Revelation, if that's, if, in case it's new for you, that's the very last book in the Bible. And it's basically the description of a vision that this very committed believer has about the final unveiling and revealing of Jesus, who Jesus is in all his glory and what that means for people. And there's a connection in that very last book to the very first book, which is Genesis. Genesis is describing this very, very start, the creation of all things. So in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, it says, To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now that tree, which may or may not look like that, I don't know. But um, <clears throat> but the tree of life, it's really important in the creation story in Genesis 2 and 3. In Genesis 2, we learn that the human beings who are newly created were put in this garden, and they're surrounded by trees, and they can eat from all of the trees, including the tree of life. They're allowed to eat from every single one except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that is a whole other story. But I just I want to point out that at the beginning of all things, where everything started, we were free to eat from the tree of life. We could eat from the tree of life and live forever. And in Genesis chapter 3, a lot of stuff goes wrong. People get tricked and they stop trusting God and they eat from the tree they're not allowed to eat from. And they end up being sent out of the garden. And God puts angels in place with swords, these flaming swords, guarding the way to the tree of life so that the people couldn't eat from it anymore. 
Whether you understand that Genesis story as like a literal description of the creation or you understand it more as sort of a meaning story that tells us some important spiritual truths, the point is the same. People were created to live forever. They were created to be alive. We were supposed to be able to eat indefinitely from the tree of life. And one of the consequences of things going wrong is that death comes into the picture. And cutting off access, putting those angels and the flaming swords in place, that is that means that death is now part of the story. It might not be immediate that we all die, but it's coming someday for everyone. And from that point on in our human story, death is always there around the edges. It's always lurking. It's the limiting factor. It's the agony and the grief that we live with, all of us, every day. In a global sense, we just had, we just had bombings in churches in Sri Lanka yesterday. School shootings and terrorist attacks and religious persecutions. Earthquakes and floods and famines. But then in a really personal sense, close to home, death is lurking too. I lost a friend, Jonathan, to suicide in May, and another friend, uh, Matthew, in September to cancer. You know, Jonathan left five kids. There's a 13-year-old boy from Creston who's in hospital in Vancouver because suddenly this week he found out that he needed a heart transplant. Just out of the blue, 13 years old. And we've had a rash of suicides among teens in this region. Death is part of our constant lived reality. And I've been thinking about that as we come up to Easter. Because so many of us so often dismiss the story of Jesus' resurrection. And I get it because it just sounds a little bit too crazy. We dismiss it, but then I think we're also kind of longing for it at the same time. I have been watching, well, okay, I've been watching the show on Netflix called The OA. Has anybody watched the show? All right, well, I don't know whether to recommend it to you or not. I mean, it's like, I really like it, but it's probably not for everyone. It's about about this woman and a set of her friends, and they have all had near-death experiences. They've all been clinically dead and come back to life. And they're trying to learn what it is that happens to people in the death and coming back. Uh, in some very disturbing ways. And uh, and they figure out, as they're learning about that, how to move through different dimensions into different versions of reality. So they're always the, their same self, but they live in, like, a whole different life if people had made different choices and reality turned out different. It doesn't matter. The point is, <clears throat> it's a really interesting show. And it reminds me, it's an example of all of the shows, all the stories, all the movies that are trying to figure out how to beat death, that are grappling with this idea of what is happening in that thin space between death and life. 
Think about all the health crazes that we grab hold of to keep us young and all the medical procedures that we have to keep us alive, and thank goodness for them. But we are obsessed with this idea of beating death. And I think that's because deep in our human consciousness, we know that we were not created for death. We were created for life. And death is this terrible limit imposed that we were never meant to face. And so I found myself on Tuesday night in tears reading Genesis and Revelation, remembering that there was no death at the very, very beginning. And there won't be death at the very, very end. We used to be able to eat freely from the tree of life. And one day we're going to do that again. Now, what does that all have to do with Easter? Listen, in the span between the Genesis and the Revelation, Jesus' death, his whole life, this 33-year-old time period, 33-year time period, that is the inbreaking of the divine. Right? That's the creator stepping into the thing that he made as though an artist could somehow figure out how to step into the canvas and interact with the people he just painted. And Easter is the climax of those 33 years. This is the moment Easter Sunday is the moment when the ultimate enemy, death, the limit we've resisted, the oppression we've been fighting, finally loses its power and the end becomes clear because Jesus was dead and now he's alive. Everything hinges on that. The tree of life was forbidden near the beginning. At the end, it will be given to us again. And Easter is where that becomes possible because he was dead and now he is alive. Let me read you the story. This is um, this is Matthew's account of the resurrection morning. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. Also, can I just pause for a second to say, isn't that the funniest greeting you've ever heard? Imagine running into Jesus and his, what he says is, greetings. (laughs) Anyway, okay, I love that. Here we are back in the very holy scriptures. Okay, 
Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, they clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So, let's unpack a couple of things in the story. First of all, um, remember I said there was overlap between the Revelation text and this story. Well, when they get to the tomb, there's a violent earthquake, just like there was when Jesus died on Good Friday. And in Revelation, I don't know why I've never noticed this before, there are just a lot of earthquakes. Like, it's always an earthquake in Revelation. (laughs) So, um, it's almost like, The earth has to respond to the divine moving in and out of it, right? So this angel comes down to see the women, and the ground is vibrating with the arrival of such an other being. And then there's this description of the angel that his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. A lot of heavenly beings, angels and God and Jesus, in Revelation are described in similar ways. Eyes and hands like fire shining so bright it's hard to look at them. And the women who went to the tomb, I mean, they do not expect that. You know, they went to visit because their friend died. They went to mourn and grieve their teacher the way any of us would, maybe with flowers and spices. It's it's a totally normal human thing to go to the grave and visit, just to be there. And then while they're there, the divine comes bursting through. The earth shakes and this majestic shining being comes down and rolls back a stone that's too heavy for anyone to move. And then he just sits down. It's so casual. It just has a seat on the stone. But he's so terrifying sitting there that the Roman soldiers shake in their boots and pass out from fear. And then this angel says to the women, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he's not here. He's risen from the dead. He was dead, and now he's alive. And they're supposed to go tell his disciples that Jesus is headed to Galilee. And they believe the angel, so they go. And on their way, they kind of run into Jesus. And all the years I've heard this story, I have no idea how to imagine what that would be like. That moment when you're rushing along on some errand, and then there he is. The man who was dead last night is standing right there in front of you this morning. Greetings. He was dead, and now he's alive. And they they just fall at his feet. They grab hold of him and worship him, and he tells them the same thing as the angel did. Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. Go tell the rest of them that he was dead, and now he's alive. Some other accounts of this story tell us that the disciples did not believe the women right away. And no judgment here, right? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Would you believe someone who came and told you that a dead person was walking around? Like the blind man said, I was blind, but now I see. And like my friend Dan, I had a lump and now I don't have one. All these women can say is, he was dead, 
And now he's alive. I don't understand it. I can't explain it. And unless he shows up here, I can't even prove it to you. But this is it. This is the way. This is the end of death. And how do we respond to that? This story tells us three things that the women do in response. And that seems pretty good. We could do what they did. So the first thing is, well, we believe, we worship, and we obey. Those are the three things. Let's talk about them. The first one, we believe. These women at the tomb, first of all, they just believe it. Believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. Now, granted, they got the benefit of the earthquake and the shiny angel and the empty tomb. Okay, so that's pretty helpful, but still, they don't question it. They don't raise their eyebrows. They just believe. And it's a risk to believe, isn't it? It's vulnerable. I mean, that's where most people drop out here, right? They just don't believe that it happened at all. And that is true in every good story. It's true in every movie about the supernatural, Always, most people don't believe. And always, there are a few people who are willing to take the risk and lean in and believe the unbelievable. And they're always the ones who see things that they never could have imagined. Jesus was dead, and now he's alive. And it's a risk to believe that. But if it's true, if he really did defeat death, That is hope and light and life for us. It's all we need. If you've never actually decided if you believe this or not, maybe today's the day. I don't know. I was 13 when I decided, and it was a super normal day in my life. Like, I was... I had grown up in church. I knew all these stories. They were familiar to me. And then one night when I was 13, I was at like a like a service for youth, a youth service. And um, we were singing and it was dark. And I was standing in in the pew beside my best friend and her mom. And this family, they were very committed believers. And they just had this way of lavishing love on each other. They were so warm, so welcoming. You just felt like... You just felt like surrounded by love in their presence. And I just, I want to just really be clear. I have a great family. But they weren't believers at that point, and even though we went to church. And there was something about the way that my friend's family poured this love out on each other. I just found myself wondering that night whether that was because they were following Jesus. And whether he was making them different somehow. And something kind of just landed in my spirit like God just went, yes, and you can have that too. You can be like that. Have this great love that comes from me. And so, you know, I'm like 13 and I just prayed it was quiet. I didn't say anything to anybody. Nobody knew. I was just like, okay, Jesus, I want to have the kind of life that you show people. I believe you, you can be the Lord of my life, and I'll follow you. And so if today's the day for you to decide, you know, I just, 
I just invite you to pray that. I'm going to pray it right now, and you can pray along with me. You don't have to tell anybody around you. You don't have to do anything else. Um, but it might be that today's the day. So I just, I'm going to pray. You're welcome to pray with me. Jesus, I, I believe you. I believe that you died and then you rose from the dead. I believe you defeated death once and for all and that you want a relationship with me. And so you can be the Lord of my life and I will follow you. Amen. I know you said you didn't have to do anything else, and you don't. But if you did pray that prayer with me this morning, uh, you you could stop me after the service and tell me because I'd love to know that that happened for you. <laughs> so one of the things we do in response is that we believe. We believe. And then the next thing we do is we worship. These women, when they see Jesus, their first response is to drop to the ground and worship him. I don't know if they sang. I imagine that they cried because they're grabbing hold of his feet. I imagine they're gasping out these words of awe and wonder and blessing. Last week, Peter was our speaker, and he challenged us to spend the week getting ready to worship on Easter Sunday. And truthfully, that has been tough for me this week. I said goodbye to some foster kids last week. There's been lots of other things going on, and I haven't always felt like worship, but I appreciated that challenge. Someone told me once that worship is telling the truth about God telling the truth about who he is and what he's done, the great and glorious things about him that never change, no matter what our circumstances are like. And so reading Genesis and Revelation this week and the Easter story and paying attention to the very beginning and the very end and this glorious point in the middle that changed everything, that's really helped me worship. And so we're going to take some time to do that together now. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And they're going to lead us uh, in the next part of our worship service. Now that you've had a chance to really look at the Easter story, and now that you've grappled with the fact that Jesus is indeed risen from the dead, now that you've believed, we want to invite you to worship him. When he is risen... Our response is that we're going to believe, we're going to worship, and then we're going to obey. When these women at the tomb meet Jesus, he tells them, and through them he tells all his disciples, go back to Galilee, and there you'll see him. Why Galilee? Galilee is where Jesus began his ministry, and it's mentioned It's mentioned six times in Matthew chapter 4, which is the chapter where he starts his ministry. Galilee is where Jesus is baptized. It's where he calls his disciples. It's where he starts preaching. And so isn't it interesting that after the resurrection, he wants everyone to go back to Galilee to see him, back to the beginning. I love this. I love that they go back. They're being invited back to the very place they came from, but they go back utterly changed. They're so different from the inside out. Just like Cheryl said, after the disciples see his resurrection, they're never the same. So they go back to tell everyone else, 
They're being sent out into the world, into their own world, to help other people get to know Jesus. And that's where we're going to go now. Every week, but especially this week, we're going back home. I mean, after coffee and treats, because there's nice treats, because it's Easter. You know, so stay for that. But having watched his death on Friday, and having waited through Saturday, and having come this morning to learn he's alive, having believed, having worshipped, now we're going to obey him. And follow him back to the beginning, back to the place we came from. And it will be the same as it was this morning when we left. But we will be different. So we go back to Galilee or to Lister or West Creston or Arrow Creek or Wendell or back to town to be sent back out into our world to help other people know Jesus. That's where we go now. Christ is risen. Is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey, whether you're finding Jesus for the first time or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.